Welcome back to another episode of Beyond the Ribbon. This podcast is brought to you by Pete's Car Smart Kia. These guys are not here just to sell you a car, but they believe in building relationships with their customers and the community. Visit their website at petescarsmartkia.com and be sure to follow them on their social media platforms as well. Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of Beyond the Ribbon. My name is Ryan Parnell and as always, I'm joined by my co-host and oncology nurse, Pam McMillan. Ron, we're back for another one. We are, Pam. And uh, I tell you, um, this has been one that uh, we've kind of had on our radar for quite some time, isn't it? It is. And it's a hard topic to talk about sometimes, but I think it's an important one. It is. I'm excited about our guest because I've heard her talk numerous times at um, ONS Congress. And um, her the information she shares is always um, impactful for me. So I'm excited for our listeners to hear her. Absolutely. You know, uh, you brought uh, our guest um, to my attention previously when we had our, our half-day uh, retreat. Uh, some of our listeners may remember that years ago. And um, gosh, it, it was amazing. Um, her talk uh, was phenomenal. And I'll never forget, she may remember this, I'll never forget, she said, uh, this is at a church, right? And I said, yes, ma'am, it is. And she said, you know what I do? <laughs> and I said, yes, ma'am, I do. And she said, have you seen my slides? And I said, no, no ma'am, I have not. <laughs> do you want to see my slides? And I said, yeah, when you show them up there. And she, <laughs> I think she was very appreciative that we weren't um, censoring her slides nor her information because it's incredibly important. Uh, and that leads us right into uh, our guest, uh, she is a certified sexuality counselor and clinical nurse specialist. Pam, she's also an author. We have several of her books in our resource library. So if our listeners uh, want to check out some of her books, uh, I bet we have six or eight of them in there. She's an mm -hmm. editor for numerous magazines and um, uh, she's also an educator and has won countless awards. Oh, by the way, Pam, she also has her own podcast called Sexually Speaking, and I'm sure we'll get into that. But uh, Dr. Ann Katz is our guest today. Dr. Katz, how are you? Thank you for having me. I'm very well, and uh, my head is swelling. In fact, the headphones that I'm wearing are about to pop off from, from that introduction. <laughs> and yes, I remember that church very well. So, um, and and of course, was really grateful that there was no censorship because sometimes it happens. Yes. You know, and um, and I think it speaks to the larger issue of the topic of sexuality uh, and in this case, body image really not being talked about, which is an injustice to our patients and to cancer survivors everywhere, because they're suffering the consequences of, you know, for many people, life saving treatment and you know, I'm talking to, to, to the nurses here who might be listening to this. We talk about all the icky stuff, right? We talk about diarrhea and mouth ulcers and, you know, ulcers in other places. And yet something that is part of quality of life, sexuality, body image, sexual functioning, you know, somehow people are uncomfortable talking about. So really that is my um, my reason for, for doing this work in part is to really get healthcare providers, oncology care providers, talking about this to our patients because they deserve it. And as a nurse, I feel like sometimes we are not educated on how to talk to our patients. And so therefore we're kind of 
steer clear from that subject because it's an uncomfortable subject for some people. Absolutely. And, you know, not everybody is comfortable saying the words, which I say quite freely. And, you know, I'm a nurse. I should know all the anatomical terms. <clears throat> but, you know, nurses come from conservative backgrounds. I'm still waiting for someone to tell me about the menstrual cycle because my mom never did. Um, and, and, you know, that ship has sailed. Uh, but, you know, I think, I think often people are embarrassed on both sides, the patient and the, the oncology care provider. They're embarrassed to raise the topic. They don't want to seem weird from our patient's perspective. Nurses, you know, will often claim that they don't have the knowledge. And, and honestly, you know, I've gone literally around the world trying to teach nurses and other oncology care providers how to ask the questions. And a simple question like, how are things going in your relationship? You don't have to say penis or vulva or vagina or breast or anything else for that matter that might, you know, be embarrassing, even though it shouldn't. Um, how are things going in your relationship allows that patient or client to know that there's an open door that they can venture into. Um, and then, and this is perhaps equally difficult particularly for nurses, is just keep your mouth shut. You know, we tend to talk at our patients. And when you keep quiet, this is, you know, this is what happens in human interaction. If you keep quiet, the other person is going to be forced to break the silence. And that's, you know, it's, it's, it's a little tricky. Um, uh, but, you know, it's, if you can just be comfortable with silence for even 30 seconds, the patient will break the silence. Right. And, you know, this is one of those things where, um, as Dr. Katz said, this is not talked about. And how many times have we heard that now throughout the episodes of our podcast? I think we we learned it's not talked about about how to talk to your children about cancer. Uh, we've mm -hmm. we've learned it's it's not talked about, um, you know, the uh, chemo induced peripheral neuropathy. There's and, and that's not to say that that physicians are failing. Um, it's just sometimes those things get lost in the shuffle. And ultimately, as we learned early on in our podcast, as, as hopefully our listeners have been following along, it's up to the consumer, which is the patient, to be your own best advocate. And if yeah. you, you need to ask these questions, um, if your doctor's not asking you these questions or your nurse is not asking you these questions, bring it up. Right. That, that, you know, whatever it may be, that's not just about what we're talking about today. But again, that's just another subtle reminder of you know, making sure that you, you as the patient, the survivor are being your best advocate. Well, I think patients are so focused on living, getting through the treatment. Some of these things that we've talked about are on the back burner and they don't need to be because it's quality of life. Yeah. So, so let me tell you a little story from my practice. Years and years ago, I saw this lovely couple who are probably who were probably the age I am now. But um, uh, you know, I saw them as an older couple, just a lovely couple, and um, she had a malignant melanoma. And, you know, which is kind of interesting to me, what's that got to do with things? And, you know, certainly we're going to talk about body image more, I, I hope, in this podcast. So, you know, certainly the body image thing was, was, was in, at the front of my mind. And I said to them, so tell me, how did you find me? 
um, I was fairly new in a full-time position here at uh, where I work. And they said, well, you know, that's an interesting story. So, of course, I love stories. So now I'm going to keep quiet and listen to the story. So they said, you know, the last time we saw Dr. X, their medical oncologist, um, just as he was leaving, uh, says the, the, the woman with the, with the malignant melanoma, she said, you know, just as he was leaving. So you can imagine, you know, he's standing at the door with his hand on the doorknob. I said to him, you know, we're having some sexual difficulties. And she said, he opened the door and was gone. And the next thing, a nurse came into the room and, and said, what happened? Because she had seen this doctor flying down, you know, the hallway with his white coat flapping. And, and she honestly thought that, you know, maybe he was going to call a code or something, that something really terrible had happened um, in the examination room. And, and she said to the nurse, well, you know, I told him that we were having a sexual problem and he you know, hit the door and, and went running. And that's how they found me because the nurse said, oh, you need to talk to Dr. Katz. And, you know, their problem was that the, that whoever was on the right or the left-hand side, that when, when the woman was on the side where the wide excision had been done, where the cancer had been removed, it caused her pain. The solution was so simple, switch sides. Not easy to do necessarily, but you know, there was no, I mean, that's kind of common sense to me. And they were just, you know, they were so happy. They hadn't figured that one out themselves because they'd been together for 40 or 50 years. And, you know, this was on the, she was on the right-hand side and he was on the left-hand side. And that's all they wanted from me. Wow. That's it, right? Common he, sense. And, and- Surely he could have handled that. You would think, <laughs> you would think, right? But I think that's what happens. The mention of anything to do with sex or sexuality really freaks people out. Mm -hmm. um, and they don't stop for a minute necessarily and think, okay. And, you know, honestly, when I first started doing this work way back in the year 2000, I can't believe it's like 21 years, um, when I wrote my first book for oncology care providers, there was so little evidence in the medical and nursing literature. Mm -hmm. um, but for me, it was a matter of, you know, connecting the dots. If someone has peripheral neuropathy in their hands and feet, is there anywhere else that is peripheral? Mm -hmm. The genitals, right? Why would they not have symptoms perhaps a little bit different from hands and feet, but that makes perfect sense to me. And there's, there's actually nothing about that in the literature. Um, so, you know, it's a question of, unfortunately, the patient having to be their own advocate, uh, which they have to be, uh, but it really shouldn't be that way. We should be talking to them about the side effects, all the side effects. Mm -hmm. Which leads us to our topic for today, um, body image. Can you tell our listeners what is body image? Start from the basics. Sure. So body image is what and how you think about how your body looks. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's really quite simple. I think we all have an idea in our head about what our physicality looks like. It may not be um, concordant or, or connected to, to our age or the reality of how our body looks. And, you know, certainly I think for anyone who's lost a significant amount of weight, when you go to buy new clothes, because everything else is hanging off you, you tend to go back to that size, you know, 
18, 20, 22, 24, whatever it is, whereas you can quite comfortably fit in a size 12 or a size 14. You know, that is a discordant body image. Um, and, and certainly because of the, you know, the treatments that we have uh, to treat cancer, so surgery, radiation, um, we know very little about the newer agents, the immunotherapies and the targeted uh, therapies about what they do with body image. But I think certainly, you know, losing a limb, having scars, losing a breast, uh, all of that will impact on how you see your body. Losing your hair, your eyebrows. Absolutely. Absolutely. Your pubic hair too. Nobody talks about that. <laughs> they don't. It is a taboo subject. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I we, think there are lots of, sorry, there are lots of taboo subjects. Oh yes. Oh yes. And you know, one of the things, Pam, as, as uh, talk about losing hair, you know, we, we have, a, we, we do our best um, on the, um, barely even scratching the surface to help our folks uh, with body image. For instance, we have a wig room. Um, you know, we, we have probably 40 or 50 wigs, different styles, different colors, different looks. Um, you know, and if we don't have the right one in there, what do we do, Pam? We get the catalog out and let's find the one that, that works best for you. You know, mm -hmm. we have some prosthetics in there as well for uh, mastectomy patients and survivors. But again, that's surface level. Um, right. You know, we're, we're doing what we can do um, from the surface level. But now, now let's go a little deeper, Dr. Katz. What, what um, some of the things maybe our folks might be struggling with? So, you know, I think that that um, one of the biggest issues, I think, for individuals who are struggling with body image, and, you know, I think we often think about body image or alterations in body image as something that really affects women more than men, and that is inaccurate. Um, and it's also not just what is visible physically. So, you know, I think I, as a nurse, and and perhaps, you know, Pam, you as a nurse, may have occasionally done something that is sort of socially acceptable when, when, when someone, you know, says, I'm not feeling good about myself, the sort of reaction is often, you look fantastic. And I did that once, and I have never forgotten this. I saw a woman, she was in her late 40s, She'd had breast cancer with immediate bilateral mastectomy with immediate reconstruction. And she came to see me and she sat in the chair, very attractive woman, beautifully dressed. And she said, I'm feeling really bad about how I look. And my immediate response, which I have never forgotten and I still feel guilty about was, but you look fantastic. And she promptly lifted up her shirt, mm -hmm. which sort of gave me a bit of a surprise because there's no naked going on in my office ever. <laughs> and... I went and made it worse. So, you know, I'm certainly not infallible. And I said, oh, you have Barbie breasts. Can you imagine somebody saying something like that? Well, I did. And, and she had Barbie breasts. She had perfect perky breasts, like a Barbie doll, no nipples or areoli. Mm -hmm. So, you know, she really looked like she had Barbie breasts and her breasts had been reconstructed with implants. So they did not look appropriate for her age and for a woman who had breastfed children. And, you know, she promptly burst out crying. Um, and I just wanted to disappear, you know, into a hole in the floor. It taught me a really valuable lesson. 
It doesn't matter what she looks like on the outside. What matters is what she or he, for that matter, feels. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think we are so conscious of weight gain and weight loss that sometimes people say, you know, awful things to somebody who's had cancer and lost a whack of weight. You know, oh, you look so good. You're so thin. Really? Do you know what this person had to go through to become that thin and they don't want to? Um, you know, I've had a, 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 ma a man in his 30s who had colorectal cancer tell me he was a gay man. And firstly, he had like this huge abdominal scar. And, and you know, I kind of understand why the surgeons make this gigantic incision. But then the person has to live with it for the rest of their life. Anyway, he had this gigantic scar down his down the middle of his abdomen, and he didn't like going to the beach because he chose to wear a T-shirt because he didn't want people to see this huge scar on his abdomen. And, you know, he was a gay man, and I'm going to generalize here, but appearance can be very important to gay men. Um, and he'd also told me that um, he had lost weight initially after his surgery and that he didn't leave the house because he was afraid that his community would think that he had HIV AIDS. Complicated. Yeah. Right? So complicated. Uh, you know, I think that we think that women have a more um, sensitive body image than men. That is not true at all. I've had older men on androgen deprivation therapy to treat prostate cancer uh, who have got breast enlargement. And men have said to me, I had to buy a whole new wardrobe because I used to wear T-shirts and like knit polo shirts and I look terrible. So now I have to wear loose cotton shirts so people can't see my enlarged breast tissue. You know, um, there's a lot of stuff packed in there. And I don't think we realize, I mean, I'm guilty of what you did. Um, I know a patient came in and said, um, I can't even look at myself in the mirror because my scars scare me. But I'm like, oh, but you look beautiful. You know, I didn't know the right thing to say. So for those that are going through this, what are some things that we can do as providers, as caregivers, support team do for that patient? Yeah, so I think certainly validation you know, is really important. You know, I'm so sorry this has happened to you. You know, do you want to talk some more about it? Um, would perhaps be a better kind of response or somebody saying, you know, I hate my reconstructed breasts is a very difficult thing for women to say because they're made to feel so darn grateful to the plastic surgeon who has done their very best. And, you know, they're artists and they will tweak and, 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 and make corrections until I think sometimes they're, they're satisfied, not necessarily the woman. Um, and so women often will feel guilty about, or people generally feel guilty about complaining about the care they've received because they are so grateful. And sometimes they've been told, just be glad you're alive. Mm. Um, you know, so I just think that validation, you know, yeah, it can be really difficult to, to have to look at scars, you know, because they're there forever. Right. Um, yeah. Yes, they fade over time. And, and, you know, we're humans and we're adaptable. So I think we come to accept them over time. Um, but it's okay to be unhappy and sad and depressed and perhaps bitter and angry um, about it. And that's not blaming the plastic surgeon or the surgeon or the nurse or the social worker, right? It's blaming the universe 
for this horrible thing that has happened. Right. So yeah, then national toll. Well, I was just going to say, the, 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 it, be angry at the cancer. Be angry at the unlucky lottery or the hereditary or whatever it is yeah. that caused that. Um, gosh, there's so far deep reaching, um, as you said, the scars fade over time, but the alterations that have gone on are deep. Yeah. I never thought about some of that that you just mentioned. Um, yeah. Cause normally what you see people with clothes on, right. You see, you know, you do, um, you know, and, and, and you just never, and Pam, we've talked about this. You just never know what someone's gone through and where they are. And sometimes yeah. it comes out a little bit. The physical scars, but what about the emotional scars? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I think particularly about about um, adolescents and young adults mm -hmm. who, um, you know, don't don't have a partner of 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years. So so, you know, they have to start from scratch. And and I often am asked by young adults, you know, how do I tell someone that I've had cancer? How do I tell someone that from the outside I look OK? Right. But, you know, I, I'm now going to have to undress in front of them. I mean, you know, that's that's scary, I think, at the best of times. Um, and certainly, you know, we, we read in the literature and from research that that partners, particularly partners that have been there for, for a fair amount of time, are very accepting of the changes because who of us has not changed? over the years right. you know um often when i see a couple and you know it's it's been a while that i've had well 18 months since i've had anybody in my office and and i miss them a lot you know i've had women turn to their partner and say to their to their partner how can you still love me how can you still want me you know with a breast missing or you know whatever and you know generally um in a heterosexual couple, you know, the man is like deer in the headlights. There is no way that he, he knows how to answer this question, right? Um, and I will then often say, like, hang on a minute, let's just look at him, right? Does he look the same as he did when he was 25? Absolutely not. Mm. And, you know, I think certainly with, with long-term couples, we love the essence of the person, you know, those physical changes. Um, we we kind of ignore, right? I was looking at old photographs the other day. Oh my goodness. It, it was not, it was scary. Right. But you know, I have earned these lines, right. Mm -hmm. But nobody has earned those scars or those missing body parts. Um, and, uh, you know, we, and we judge ourselves so harshly. I think that's the biggest thing there, you know, and as I said, it's not just women, you know, men today are seeing images in magazines and in tv ads right that you need to have a 12 or 6 12 12 i don't know the the you know the pack um and and now with the olympics i mean we're seeing lots of those six packs and 12 packs goodness me um, um and and you know we are really very very harsh on ourselves and and i really want to acknowledge that men go through this and just don't talk about it and feel that they're not allowed to talk about it. And they really, really do. Pam, this brings up a very good point uh, coming off of our episodes that we did with our prostate cancer survivors and talking about, you know, um, uh, the incontinence issues and having to wear uh, pads and diapers. And you, you mentioned, Dr. Katz, about uh, 
the the physical changes and the alterations and and that's one of the things i wrote down was just you know with men and, and incontinence and they're not talking about it i mean i i've not been through that and i i, I know that i know i should talk about it but i feel like the guy that i you know we're guys we don't talk about it um I mean, it's just, yeah, it's, but you're right. You, you mentioned about we've all changed. And, and I, I would imagine that that was very eye-opening for that couple. As we're doing this podcast over Zoom, of course, I'm looking at the top of my head where there is no hair and I know that I've changed. <laughs> yeah, we, you know, we all have. And, and, you know, it's not just sort of, you know, the obvious breast cancer perhaps colorectal cancer because of the surgery and some people needing a, a bag, uh, having an ostomy and needing a bag to, to collect feces. But think for a minute about somebody with an oral cancer, head and neck cancer, and the huge, huge changes. And, you know, our face, never mind the rest of us, nothing particularly now with, you know, Zoom, our face is really what we show other people. And imagine having, you know, the contractures that we see after surgery and radiation and and the, those physical disfigurements that come with treatment sometimes people losing part of their jaw and um, you know I know here um, our machine shop has a 3d printer and they are printing you know uh, pieces to to implant in in the jaw and and uh, you know we've made strides but there's still a lot of people you know who are really disfigured um, and I think in many ways they're forgotten even though I think they're such you know, examples of how body image can, and the body can be affected by cancer. So what is your number one recommendation for, let's say one of our listeners out here saying, yeah, I have body image problems, but what do I do? You know, the first thing I think is, is just saying it out loud, you know, even maybe to, to yourself in the mirror, right? Um, and, you know, trying not to judge um, if somebody, you know, if you say, you know, I, I'm not feeling good about my body and somebody says, but you look fantastic, perhaps using that as an opportunity to educate them and saying, well, you know what, it doesn't matter what you see, I feel bad about it. Certainly communication with a partner is so important because we make assumptions about people or person that we love. And, you know, I, I think I'm a pretty good communicator and I know I do it in my primary relationship and I get it wrong 80% of the time. My husband gets it wrong 99% of the time. You know, he, he would take, he would take some offense at that, but yeah, you know, it's hard to talk about these difficult things. Um, and really the true meaning of the word intimacy is emotional connection and that is about vulnerability and honesty. So often people come to me and say, you know, they'll say, we're having a problem with intimacy. And my first question is, do you, are you not like connected emotionally? Oh, no, no, that's fine. In fact, it's even better after I've been through cancer. So you're having a sexual problem. Uh, so, you know, we use this euphemism of intimacy, which frankly confuses me. So, so that's why I ask that question. Um, but really being able to be vulnerable with someone is really key to that emotional connection that, you know, is really optimal if you're in a sexual relationship with someone. You know, I, I, I don't think a hookup, what, what young people are having these days, we used to have one night stands, they have hookups, I'm not quite sure what the difference is, but it seems that there's a bit of a difference there. Um, you know, a hookup or a, a one night stand is not intimate at all. 
you don't know the person you're not necessarily showing your your real self and neither are they um but but talking about these things makes us feel vulnerable um and being vulnerable can actually enhance that relationship. So, you know, perhaps that's another that's another su suggestion. Don't be afraid of being vulnerable. Now, of course, not all couples are perfect. Right. You know, there are relationships that are fueled by alcohol and abuse and and other substances or just bad personality. Um, but you know, and we all bring our baggage to to relationships. But that but that ability to be vulnerable and to be honest about what you're thinking and not to automatically say no I'm fine when you patently are not is important and that's important with healthcare providers as well right right um you know when when I pass colleagues or even people I don't know and we're all masked and I don't recognize anybody thank you COVID um and people say to me how are you doing you know I often will just say I'm fine and I'm not right I'm angry I'm I'm angry a lot of the time. I'm sad, you know, I'm frustrated, I'm concerned and worried and anxious. Um, and I think sometimes just admitting that, you know, I don't feel good about my body. I hate these scars. Um, you know, I don't like the difference in my breasts now that I've had a mastectomy with reconstruction on one side, because that reconstructed breast is not what I wanted it to be or not what I expected it to be. It's like this thing on the front of my body and it doesn't react and respond like, like my natural breast. And I'm angry about that. It's okay. So the first part is admitting that you're not okay. Yeah. And what about, how do we get to that emotional connection stage? How couples, um, partners, how do they work through that? Yeah, it's talking, 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 right? You know, I think honestly, the most important thing that I do as a sexuality counselor, seeing patients, survivors with a distant cancer, a present cancer, you know, newly post-recovery, male, female, old, young, gay, straight, partnered, unpartnered. I mean, I'll see all comers um, and my services are free to people within with where I live. Um, just talking about communication and there's this interesting thing that happens and it's actually written about in the psychology literature that when a couple is sitting with a with an objective professional in the same room they will start to talk to each other and I've had that experience so many times um, I've got this little round table behind me and that's generally where people sit one on each side and the chairs are sort of turned um, at 45 degrees, right? So they, they can see me and each other. And sometimes I've asked a question and they the couple literally turns their chairs to face each other. And I'm left sitting thinking, can I go get a cup of coffee? Can I check my email? Of course, I would not do either of those, but I don't have to do anything. So I think getting help, if you are, you know, if someone is struggling to talk about these things, get help. And it could be from a therapist, it could be from, you know, like a family and marriage therapist, it could be from a social worker, it could be from a nurse, it could be from their primary care provider. But just having that opportunity where there's somebody in the room, you know, I am there to a ask probing questions, I'm there to kind of take mental notes, because I don't write notes when I've got somebody in, in my in my office. Um, but I'm taking mental notes of what has been said. Um, 
And if things start to get, you know, a little intense, not in terms of crying, you know, people are free to cry in my office. It's good for your eyes and it releases all kinds of tension. But if things start to get like perhaps a little bit angry, I'm there to to try, not always succeed. To, although, no, really, I've, I really haven't had anyone yelling in my office ever to th- when I think about it, because people will do sort of the socially acceptable thing, but they know that I'm there to kind of keep control of the situation. So seeing somebody can really, really help. You know, we often don't fight fair. One of the things that I have, I have to say most often is when you're in a disagreement with your partner about something, whether it's unloading the dishwasher or like something really important, right? Use I statements. I am hurt when you know when i feel i'm not being listened to if you say you never listen to me the other person is immediately defensive mm-hmm. right they're going to they're going to come back with something that's just going to inflame the situation so say i feel hurt when i don't feel listened to completely different temperature in the room just learning how to communicate there's yeah. two things that you said that um ron i don't know if you caught on she said, free and help. Yeah. And, and um, those are... Does that sound familiar? Yes. yes. Uh, you know, Dr. Katz, what, I know you're aware of what we do here at our Survivorship Center, but um, and, and everything here is entirely free, 100%. Um, if they need to speak to a counselor, we have two counselors we work with. And if we can't get you in, what do we do, Pam? We seek out someone else. I was on the phone yesterday uh, locating a counselor that could see someone uh, that needed to be seen right away. Um, and that does, they never see a bill, not once, um, not at all. And, you know, we've got those resources. And if we don't have easy access uh, to that, we're going to find the right resource. You know, Dr. Katz, one of the things you said, you know, uh, Pam kind of goes back to some of the other community. A lot of our talks, podcasts center around communication. It's kind of that important thing. And um, using the I statements and not a you statement, that is, um, I'm guilty of that. And I know, I think we all are. Uh, we can all use those subtle reminders um, and, and getting help. Uh, that's one of the things, you know, one of the podcasts that we have coming up, Pam is talking about breaking the stigma around uh, counseling. You know, mm-hmm. it's not that sit on the couch and tell me your feelings and, you know. <laughs> you, yeah, you yeah this, and I'm going to be seeing you every week for the next 20 years. Nope. Yes, <laughs> yes. You know, you're, you're, you're kind of stuck and you now are labeled as someone who needs help. That's not it at all. Uh, Dr. Katz, you made a very good point of getting help from someone. And you, you made, it was kind of interesting, and I hope our listeners caught that, you're not the one, you're kind of the, the, the starter of the discussion. And then you're there. I always use this analogy, kind of like the bumpers on the bowling alley, right? You just kind of keep that bowling ball moving towards the pins. And ultimately you get to the end and uh, there's a result and you, you, you get, you, you're providing help for those folks. Yeah. You know, I think you raise a really important topic, something that we also don't talk about. You know, I could sort of have this bucket of the things that we don't talk about, but the financial costs and the financial implications of having cancer. I live in Canada where theoretically treatment is free and certainly, you know, we don't pay for 
chemotherapy, we don't pay for radiation, we don't pay for surgery, we certainly pay for anti-nausea medication, which is which is not covered. And, you know, many Canadians have private health insurance that will cover some, if not all of that. But when, you know, when when you're suffering under the burden of enormous costs, you may not be able, you probably are not able to pay for counseling, which seems like and you know, kind of novelty, and and so you know, the services you provide free of charge are uh, are so important and not common. And you know, I I often when when I've been in the states giving presentations and people learn that I'm from Canada, you know, they'll say things like, "Oh, you're from Canada. That's where people die waiting for an MRI." No. Right, nobody dies waiting for an MRI. You're not going to get an MRI if you've twisted your ankle. I'm telling you right now, right? Um, because you don't need an MRI if you twist if you've twisted your ankle. Um, but but you know, it's there still are those those costs, and I hate to think of people having to sell their house, go bankrupt. Right, so that their partner or their child or their, you know, other family member gets cancer. I mean, you know, that to me is just unimaginable. And one of the reasons that that we came to Canada um, 36 years ago, uh, my husband's a physician. And, uh, you know, he wanted to be able to provide care to people irrespective um, of income. Um, so, you know, certainly I think Americans talk about having the great healthcare system in the world. There was a recent study that I saw that actually put Canada at number 11 and the U.S. behind us. So the Scandinavian countries, I think, are way ahead of us. Um, and, uh, you know, we need to keep our boasting a little bit quiet, I think. Sure. You, you talked about this, this first component of uh talking to your partner and being vulnerable and being honest and have communication and get help from someone, what, what's another step or kind of the next step? If, if, if this is done, is there, is there other things, you know, you mentioned about how maybe a woman is not pleased with one side or the other. And I mean, what should they do? They should call their doctor, right? They should go back and they, and, and is it right for the patient to continue to um, seek after until they're actually happy? Well, sometimes happiness is not achievable, right? And and you know, I think that's one of the things that that we really do have to admit, you know. So let's just say a woman who's had you know reconstruction on one side and has a healthy breast on the other side. We're seeing a great increase in the number of women opting for a prophylactic mastectomy, right, on the on the healthy breast for a variety of reasons. She never wants to have to deal with breast cancer again. She wants an aesthetic. Um, a result that that is 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 perhaps better and that's not guaranteed with implants at all right because you know things can do implants can move etc cetera, etc cetera. um so i think it's you know at some point and i think for many patients they actually do reach that point and i've seen it um in a lot of women with breast cancer you know who've had seven sort of fix it surgeries after uh, reconstruction and at some point they just say i mean you know really uh, it's enough you know multiple general anesthetics are not good uh, you know recovery takes time away from the rest of their life from their job from their family from their children um so I think at some time, you know, acceptance and perhaps um, that acceptance will come perhaps from a support group, 
right, where there are other people who have been through something similar who can give advice, um, recognizing that somebody else's experience is not your experience, just as somebody else's cancer is not your cancer. Um, and I think we have to, you know, we have to encourage survivors to be really, and patients to be really aware of that, that just because your uncle had prostate cancer and now you have prostate, or your dad had prostate, it's not necessarily your cancer and your experience is going to be unique and your choices may be unique. Um, so, so, you know, human beings, are, we, we're adaptable. We get used to all kinds of things. Goodness me, many of us got used to living with someone for a number of years, uh, um, you know, and we put up with, with, with all their, their little quirks and, uh, and, and things, um, you know, but I think, you know, really, communication is just so important. We're human beings and we have the gift of speech. I don't think we're unique among mammals. I was just watching something about whales and dolphins. And let me tell you something, <laughs> they know how to communicate with, with clicks and squeaks, uh, but they do too. Um, so, you know, let's use this, the skill that we have been graced with and, and, and deal with things. Um, you know, hiding, not talking about, not seeking help doesn't make anything go away. So with the body image, um, does it ever go away, like those feelings? I think it may change. For some people, it may go away. Uh, for other people, I think it, it, it changes because, you know, you get tired of fighting. You get tired of being worried about it. You get tired of just feeling bad all the time. Um, but, you know, it's also... You know, I think we certainly, you know, we talk about hair loss and, you know, eyebrows and eyelashes are there for a reason to protect our eyes. Pubic hair is there for a reason, even though women spend a whole lot of money to get it ripped out by the roots with hot wax. You can hear where I'm coming from on this one. You know, we're certainly seeing men manscape now. And I've been seeing all these products for manscaping suddenly pop up uh, in magazines and on television. I mean, listen, to each their own. But pubic hair is there for a reason. Um, so um, I've almost forgotten where I was going with this. Um, but, you know, there are other things as well. Stretch marks, for example, anybody who's been on steroids for a significant part, you know, uh, time. I'm thinking of people with hematologic cancer who perhaps have had a bone or stem cell transplant. And they're on massive doses of steroids. They gain a whole whack of weight right? Their skin, you know, doesn't accommodate it and they get stretch marks. Um, and I mean, those do not go away. Uh, anyone who's been pregnant, um, well, most of us who've ever been pregnant, you know, have the, have, have the, the stretch marks to prove it. I know, you know, the, the Giselle Boon, what's her name? Giselle, you know who I'm talking about, that Brazilian person who's married to Tom Brady. <laughs> yes. You know, the Brazilian supermodel, right? She, you know, she's had, she's had three children or something and she had, does not have a stretch mark to be seen. But, um, um, you know, th those are, you know, seemingly insignificant, but they're not. If you're a 23-year-old man, right, mm -hmm. trying to date, exactly. and chances are you're going to have to take your clothes off or want to take your clothes off at some point, and they're these stretch marks, you know, so, so it can be embarrassing, um, people will, you know, children will point at somebody who has facial disfigurement in the supermarket. And I think people learn to deal with it over time, but they're those little chinks, right? In, in the person's confidence, self-confidence. Um, and, you know, it, it can be really hard to get over those. 
and I guess, right, it goes right back to what you said about all the communication points that I just listed. To the 23-year-old who has uh, the body image that, like, as you mentioned, you know, hopefully one day they will have a partner and they need to talk to that partner and be vulnerable and let them know, this is what I went through. And as a result, I have this, or I am missing that, or here we are. Yeah, and you know, I think the issue with disclosure is that the person who's disclosing is always afraid that the other person is going to what they now say ghost them, right? Disappear without a trace. Um, but you don't want somebody like that in your life anyway. And I think in many ways, um, you know, meeting somebody online gives you that little bit of distance, uh, both physical distance, I think, as well as sort of timing distance that, you know, first of all, nobody's picture on dating sites is accurate. <laughs> That's the first thing. Um, I had a, uh, I cared or supported a, a, a man in his early 70s who had prostate cancer and, and he's, um, he was divorced and now he was in interested in, you know, in meeting somebody new. And one day, so he started delving into, into online dating, which I thought was really courageous of him. Um, and one day he came to see me and he said, you would not believe how many women my age out there like hunting and fishing. And the truth is, I would not believe how many women like hunting and fishing. But, you know, so people, you know, present themselves a certain way. Um, but yeah, you know, I think being, being rejected um, is very, very hard to take. And once again, that eats away at your self-confidence. And, you know, perhaps you, you know, you, you stay off the dating website for a while because you've been hurt. Um, and it's really, it's not just young people who are looking for partners. You know, I sometimes wonder if we were meant to live with someone, you know, for 40 or 50 years, but I certainly know that we were not meant to live alone. Um, you know, we're human beings, and I think this COVID pandemic or plague, as I call it, has really taught us, right, the, the, the really brutal side of isolation and, and loneliness. Uh, and, and hopefully it's a lesson that, that's, you know, that we'll take into, into consideration the next time we're invited somewhere, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, we've gotten used to not going out, well, certainly, you know, here, um, and, and you become socially lazy, I think. You know, it's easier to just go home and get into your jammies and watch Netflix while eating a rice bowl. <laughs> um, but we're humans, right? We need connection. That's right. That's right. Uh, is there anything else, Dr. Katz, maybe from a um, partner standpoint who is not, um, you know, is not the one dealing with the body image? What, what can we do other than, as you mentioned earlier about, you know, the communication with the affected partner. Yeah. Don't try to fix things. You know, and I think that's often what we do out of love, you know, and I think men do it a lot, but women do as well because we tend to be control freaks, right? Don't try to fix it. It's not something that you can fix, right? And, you know, just say, I'm here, I'm listening, I understand. Or if you don't understand, because you've got to be honest about that as well, say, what do you mean? right? How does this feel for you? Because until you've been in those shoes, you really don't know, you know, and also, you know, once again, not to say that sort of socially acceptable thing, but you look fine, you look great. Um, because that's, that's not helpful. Right? It, it seems like that's probably the first thing like, and I'm picturing myself, that's probably the first thing I would have said, you look great. I mean, it's, it's natural. Yeah, you look great. 
it, yeah. you look wonderful. Yeah. Um, but that now I'm understanding that is not helpful and that is not the right thing to say, Pam. Yeah. So, you know, maybe if, you know, if your partner says I'm ha unhappy about my body, um, you know, in what way? Or if you want to be affirming, right, just say, I love you for who you are, right? You're the mother or the father of our children. You're a great partner. You've supported me through all my career changes, you know, those because really that's the essence or should be, or I hope is the essence of our primary intimate relationship, right? It's not the outside stuff, no. right? It's the, it's the essence and the, and the importance that they play in our life. Sometimes it's easier to fix it than to communicate to, about it. Yeah, to try and fix, try it. To fix it. Right. Yeah, because you right. you can't, you know. And I mean, I understand that, you know, and I do that kind of every day. I'm the person who barbecues in, in my in my in my relationship. I I love barbecuing, you know, the flames and everything else. And you know, the other day I was doing something else and my husband grabbed the hamburgers and my first thought was, Oh my gosh, is he gonna like, you know, incinerate them? He did a great job with the darn hamburgers, you know. But I was itching to get in there and you know, grab the the spatula and the tongs and stuff so um you know we can't always fix it um and allowing someone to go through what they're going through is also really important right right you know it's like it's like when when a woman is in labor right she has to get that baby out. She's no elephant, right? The kid can't stay in there for like three years or however long elephants are pregnant for, right? That baby's got to come out. It's extremely hard for somebody who loves them to see them in pain, right? And to see them going through that. But there's no choice, right? If you are diagnosed with cancer, you have to, you have to get through that treatment and come out the other side. Nobody can do it for you but it's really important it's really important to have somebody standing with you wow pam that goes right back again to one of our episodes i hate to reflect back but it reminds me of our caregiver episode and how mm -hmm. we discussed how important caregivers are um, whether that's a father a mother a, a, for, for a young person or a spouse a loved one a, whatever it may be a neighbor whoever it is it is important to have someone stand by your side. And unfortunately, as you said, Dr. Katz, they can't do it for you, but they can certainly do a lot for you. Yeah, but I think we also have to recognize, and I'm actually just writing a revision of my prostate cancer book. And when I revise, I just do the whole darn thing over because it's just easier <laughs> that way. Um, we have to recognize the, the strain, right? And the stress that caregivers go through watching a loved one go through this. And I'm not sure that they are always supported. Um, you know, and, and what we've seen now with, with, with COVID is, you know, patients having to go to hospital all by themselves and not allowed anyone with them and come to our cancer centers without somebody with them. And, you know, the official thing is, you know, no companions. That's not a companion, right? right? You know, uh, a companion is someone who goes on a bus ride with, with you. Um, that is a loved one who needs to hear, you know, who needs to hear the same information and needs to hold their hand, right? And, and so, you know, just I think um, we, really do, we really do need to pay attention to the needs of, of caregivers. 
who are giving care. Let's yeah. let's remember that. That's right. exactly right. That that first word in 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 their their title should be in all caps. You know, they are a caregiver. Right. And it's important, and that's why we encourage all of our listeners. Um, if you come to one of our classes or you want to come to one of our classes, bring your caregiver, bring your loved one, bring your spouse. Um, you know, it's important. And if you feel more comfortable with them here, they deserve the break as well. They deserve, you know, an activity or, or whatever it is we're doing. Um, you know, we don't limit it just to survivors. They play a very important role. Yep. Um, one last thing. Uh, you mentioned really quick, we, we touched on it, and I, I'd like to kind of go back to it about the young adults. Um, we're seeing more and more young adults diagnosed with cancer, and it's such a vast, you know, stay, different stage of life. Um, can you speak to our young adults that maybe are listening to uh, this as they're going through their treatment with their body. And we've touched on just a couple of them, you know, the, the, the uh, young adult side, but I really feel like that's an unmatched or untouched area. Um, they're kind of left out there because typically cancers for older people. Yeah, you know, I think that's a, I think there are a number of issues with with young adults. First of all, that age span, right, 19 to 35 or 39, depending on which definition is chosen. You know, a 19 year old is at college, just figuring out who they are and who they want to be and who they choose to to love, right, or who they're attracted to. Versus a 39 year old who may have completed having their family and being in a stable relationship with an established career. So I think that's the first issue. Um, I actually have much more hope now about dealing with uh, with how we deal with young adults, because first of all, there are a number of grassroots organizations supporting young adults. So I'm thinking about Stupid Cancer. Yes. I'm thinking about Lacuna Loft, which is now called the Cactus Cancer Club, I think they've changed their name, but they still provide the same great services. You know, we have Young Adult Cancer Canada here in Canada. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of, of support. A lot of it is virtual. So, you know, you could be living in a village with 50 people or living in Manhattan and, and, and you can still uh, access the same resources. I think institutions, sometimes for financial reasons, are recognizing, unfortunately, the growing body of young adults getting cancer. So they are establishing special cancer units, which makes a huge difference in, in hospitals. Um, but, but yeah, you know, things are, 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 are challenging, but I really do have hope. And I just actually saw yesterday that I think it's the National NCCN, I think, that has just issued a report on, on young adult cancer and encouraging research because young adults, as opposed to children with cancer, we have not seen the same improvements in uh, long in uh, treatment uh, that that we've seen for and survival that we've seen for for pediatric patients. Um, but yes, you know, I think um, if you can cast your mind back to when you were in your 20s, perhaps, how important body image is, right? Because it's about, in part, who you, who you will attract. Um, and so I think body image has special meaning 
there, as well as, you know, one of the developmental tasks of young adulthood is exploring sexuality and body image and is part of that. Um, and, and cancer is a massive, massive interruption. You know, it's an interruption in schooling, in college, in career development, but it's also a huge interruption in social and romantic uh, development and sexual development. And that's, you know, that's obviously a, a, a big problem. And so, again, I guess you would say communication, you know, it goes right back to that, I guess, no matter if it's a young adult, if it's a 48 year old or a 75 year old. Yeah, I would suggest that, though, for a young adult, it's perhaps more difficult. They haven't had the practice. They perhaps don't have the self-confidence. They're perhaps more critical and less accepting. You know, I think you reach a certain age where like, look, this is it, right? Yeah, I'm a size 14 and nothing's gonna budget. And I just have to accept that, you know, this is, this is you know, for, for men, I'm no longer wearing a size 28 jean because you know, that would fit on one leg. Um, and, and, you know, I'm not going to get into the whole thing of weight, but I think acceptance and acceptance of the body is, of one's body is an important place to get to because, you know, you can beat yourself up so badly and, and not actually be able to do anything about it. Um, I think it's really different for young adults as it, than it is perhaps for someone in their 50s, 60s, 70s and beyond. Yeah. But yeah, you know, get help. Um, and, and, you know, I think it's, it's difficult for people in smaller centers, larger metropolitan centers will have special units or cancer centers where there are counselors and social workers and, and, um, you know, access help. Yes. Thank you so much for educating us about body image. I feel like I've learned a lot. I hope our listeners have. Um, Absolutely. Where can they find you and where, what is your podcast? So my podcast is called Sexually Speaking with Dr. Ann Katz, because I discovered that there are other podcasts called Sexually Speaking, and some of them are kind of hmm, a little hot. Um, so Sexually <laughs> Speaking with Dr. Ann Katz. Actually, I have really, um, the episodes that I've done, and I think I'm coming up to my, my one-year anniversary, um, have, have not been cancer-related at all. I've talked about other things. Um, and I'm not quite sure why, but uh, perhaps that will change uh, as I invite more guests. Unlike you who have a weekly podcast, how on earth do you manage to do that? Well, let me tell you, Dr. Katz, uh, I, I tease Pam and our listeners probably know I'm, I'm really good at teasing Pam. When we came up with this idea, and by we, it was Pam, and she says, let's do, it has to be weekly. And of course I'm like, sure. Oh yeah. And in the moment, in the moment, right. You just kind of go, yeah, this, we can make this happen. And then like a day or two later, I kind of have this realization that there's 52 weeks in a year. <laughs> and then in the moment, it seemed like the most awesome idea, but I'm telling you, it has been uh, the biggest I think most impactful thing we've done at the center, because I know we're reaching listeners who are busy, they're dropping kids off at school and they've got work and they've got family commitments and they've got, you know, travel baseball and gymnastics and you name it, but they can pop in and listen to uh, a 45 minute, an hour long podcast, get what we've committed to get great medical, good scientific education. That's helpful. And, um, 
it, it, and, and, and speak to wonderful uh, experts like yourself who are clear across the border and um, our survivors would normally have zero access to, um, have maybe never heard of, and we're able to bring your expertise into a, a short-lived, you know, time frame that they can they can dedicate to. It's been fun. Yeah, you know, I, I've also found that, that doing the podcast fun because having those conversations is so great. Um, but it's the planning and it's the organizing and finding a date. And you know, for me, remembering to press record <laughs> uh, that it's the logistical stuff that I think is so is so uh, so challenging. You know, because we're all busy, right? But yeah, I mean, I certainly enjoy podcasts and have learned so much from so many podcasts. And so, I, really, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you this morning. Um, I I had uh, actually today's one of my writing days, um, and this has been a very, very welcome distraction. <laughs> and where can they find your books? Um, online. So um, certainly, you know, on, on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, you know, those kinds of things. Um, there is another Anne Katz, and she actually also has a PhD. She's an educator in Wisconsin. So sometimes people get a little bit confused, and we both spell Anne the same way with an E. Um, uh, I actually have a website, which I really neglect, uh, but it's drannkatz.com. Uh, my Twitter handle is drannkatz.com. I used to complain a lot about the airlines on my Twitter feed. That hasn't happened for 18 months, uh, but now I'm sort of, you know, attacking politicians. Uh, <laughs> but, um, and sometimes really, you know, retweeting interesting things that, that, that I've seen. Um, and, uh, you know, if and you can actually link from my website, www.drannkatz.com, to, uh, to, to contact me if anybody uh, is interested in sexuality counseling. Um, I do it now all by Zoom. Um, certainly, there is a, a disclaimer uh, for people who live outside my jurisdiction, um, and I do have to charge for that. Um, and I... And, um, you know, I'm happy, you know, once again, I don't do that every week for 20 years thing. I'm focused on, you know, my, my focus is on helping the individual or the couple find resolution because they will find the resolution for their problem, not me. I'll just kind of hopefully guide them along the way. You know, Pam, they can also find many of her books in our resource library here um, and check them out. Her hot topics and they are usually checked out, but um they're well, thank, thank you for that. The royalties allow me to buy a cup of coffee once a week. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and, and of course, if you're if you're revising your men and, and prostate and sex book, we'll have to get the new one. Uh, yeah. But definitely, you know, they can check them out here um, and, and, and as well. That's a very easy thing to have happen. I also have a new book. I have a couple of new books coming out. The, the pandemic has actually been very productive for me. So I have a book for... Um, Parents and Partners of Young Adults with Cancer that's coming out. Um, and uh, Woman Cancer Sex is now in its second edition. So if you only have the first edition, uh, please buy the second edition. Um, it's, it's on a bookcase that's too far for me to reach, um, but it's completely revised. So new stories, new evidence, new advice. Um, We'll, yeah, add so, the, we'll add it to the library today. <laughs> thank you. I'm looking forward to my cup of coffee from a, an, an unnamed uh, coffee shop. That's right. <laughs> That's right. <laughs>
Again, thank you so much for joining us, but we like to leave our listeners with a Pete's Powerful Moment. We are sponsored by Pete's Car Smart Kia, and we would like to hear your powerful moment. You know, really, I think just to, to grant yourself the same grace that you grant to other people in your life. Yeah. There you have it. I, I cannot imagine dealing with significant body alterations and the things that our survivors go through. Um, it, as you said, Dr. Katz, if you're, if you've not been there, you cannot understand. And you certainly shouldn't, should not say, I understand because you don't. Um, I know Pam, you have more, way more discussions about these things with our survivors than of course I do because myself being non-clinical, um, I, I'm just so thankful that there are folks like you, Dr. Katz, who are willing to say the words, the anatomical words, you know, and, and, and be real, not, not a facade, but be real. Um, in fact, I want to ask if, if you'll uh, grant us the opportunity to have you on again to discuss sexual issues. Um, any day, any day. I know, but, you know, some, yeah, somebody said to me, the, oh, we keep talking over each other. Somebody ahead, said sir. to me the other day, somebody said to me the other day, like, you know, are you going to retire soon? And my response was, hang on a second. I spent my whole day talking about sex. Hell no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, um, I would imagine some of our folks are saying, yes, yes, have her back. Please have her back. Um, we definitely will. You guys that are listening, uh, we, we will commit to that, having Dr. Katz back uh, to talk about uh, sexual side effects. I know that that was a very, very appreciative discussion you did when you came to Amarillo and, and spoke. And I know several people came and told Pam how wonderful uh, it was and, and the, the topic and communication was key. So uh, and I challenge our listeners to send us those questions, those hard questions that you don't want to ask so that we can ask and um, we'll be the uncomfortable ones. Yes. You know, I, I am certainly good at putting myself in uncomfortable situations. <laughs> Most men are, right? And I think mm -hmm. that's, uh, uh, I can certainly, I will be the designated reader of the questions. So how can you do that, Pam? They need to send us an email, right? Right, at info at 24survivorship.org. Info at 24survivorship.org. We will keep your um, identity a secret and um, we will ask the expert. And I think, um, gosh, there, there will be a lot. That may have to be a two-part uh, podcast, I, I would imagine. Yeah, that would be great. There's so, you know, discuss, yeah, a there's lot a lot to, to discuss. discuss. Absolutely. Dr. Katz, thank you again for joining us, uh, for imparting your knowledge uh, to our listeners. Again, your homework, as we always say, is to hit all the buttons. Share the podcast, like the podcast, give us a review. Um, give us the five stars on, on uh, Apple Podcasts. Let us know how we're doing and join us again next week for another great episode of Beyond the Ribbon. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Beyond the Ribbon. Make sure to subscribe to our weekly podcast and follow us on social media for news and updates. If you'd like more information about the 24 Hours in the Canyon Cancer Survivorship Center, please visit our website, 24survivorship.org. Thanks again, and we'll be back next week.